we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to sense. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Happy Friday to you. Happy weekend ahead here on RCSD. And most importantly, what's Sunday? Sunday's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day yeah. to all the moms out there. Love you, Mom, if you're listening. Um, would you Love like you, to Derek, say mom. To your mom. All right, that got weird. <laughs> All right, uh, KU football. No, my mom is very excited. I told this <laughs> to, to you earlier. My mom's biggest Mother's Day present of the year was learning that I'm the guy who presses the buzzer <laughs> and the, the the bell on. Uh, I trivia. love that. She was thrilled that I. I love I that. To, it's uh, like, you know. That's, your parents had all these expectations for, you know, whatever you wanted to be as a as a kid. Like yeah, yeah. Doctor or whatever. And it's like, no, I wanted you to be a guy who pushes buttons. It was either that or being the guy that counts down from 10 at Kennedy Space Center when the rocket left. Hey, that's off. an important job. Yeah. You know, what happens if you go 10, 9, 7? I yeah, mean, 8, and then the whole thing blows up. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, KU football landed another transfer. It's their third they've picked up since the May 1st deadline and, and since spring ball came to an end. It's another offensive lineman, the the second one they've grabbed. We we talked with uh, Zach Boyer of the LJ World yesterday. We're going to have more conversation for KU football today. John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant will join the show in about 35 minutes, talk more about that and some other transfer stuff and recruiting stuff. We have two RCST trivia matchups today, so we're going to be completely into the grade eight after today's action. Um, we have a KU Club interview brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence with the KU Water Ski Club with Parker, Parker Worley and Luke Hamilton. Josh Briscoe is going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour to talk Chiefs and kind of wrap up the draft. So very loaded show. We're also out slightly early today at 5.50 for uh, the Sunflower Showdown. KUK State going to take on each other, and I think we have all games for you over the three games set over the weekend here on KLWN, and it's important games for KU, not just because it's the in-state opponent, but it's also because they need to do well in this if they want to make it to the uh, Big 12 tournament. So um, that so offensive that, lineman. That is, I know, mm -hmm. that, real quick, sorry to interrupt, and I know we want to get to this um, offensive lineman, but just to confirm that we did confirm, I know like in February and March we weren't sure, we did confirm that it's the top eight. Yes. You do have to qualify for the Big 12 baseball tournament, yeah. correct? And right now they're ninth. Kansas yep. State is in eighth. So, so they have a, they can get into the postseason, uh, at least the Big 12 tournament portion of the postseason, uh, if they do well starting this weekend. Yeah. So that's the, uh, I guess, the crux of, of the series. Uh, that offensive lineman, I keep teasing at, DeAndre Dorian, or Doran? I don't know. It's spelled D-O-I-R-O-N. So I, I don't know how it's pronounced, but nonetheless... He comes over from Buffalo. He started ten games as a freshman. That's cool. A season ago, yeah, and, and yeah, in the MAC. Say, I mean, that's not a slouch exactly. of a conference. That's the MAC. Yeah, and also, you know, I, I think when we saw last year KU bringing on all these guys from Buffalo, there was a part where you said, yeah, but even then, it's like the MAC, and you're going up to Power Five. Are those guys really going to translate? But think about this: Buffalo has been a better football program over the last five years than Kansas has. So why would it not translate? And sure enough, it did. 
Mike Nowitzki was a starter on KU. Trevor Wilson was one of your top receivers last year. Rich Miller was maybe your best linebacker last year on the team. Like These are all guys that, that you brought over from Buffalo a season ago, so there's no reason why he couldn't continue to have that impact on um, this year's team. I don't, real quick, uh -huh. sorry. Uh, Buffalo, uh, they did... They had a bit of a down year by what by Leipold brought high standards to that Buffalo program. Um, they went four and eight that last year, two and six in the MAC, so not up to the snuff of what they were used to, uh, but still had games. They had a game in which they scored forty five. Um, so they they you know game in which another game with multiple games over thirty. So they were still doing well on offense. And this for, guy started as a freshman. He has four years left of play if he were to take a redshirt year, which I guess hypothetically he could this year. Maybe he's more of a backup. You play him in four games, redshirt him the last rest, or he could just have three years left of eligibility. So this, again, goes in line with those other guys. The receiver you bring on in Emelian from Minnesota, he can have several years left. I, I keep forgetting if it's three or four years left of play. Uh, the kid they brought in from Butler Community College, Flavio Gonzalez, he has... Two years left to play, three if he redshirts one. So you're getting a lot of years out of these guys that you're bringing on, and he just becomes the latest guy at an important position. You want to bolster up the depth of that offensive line. We're going to talk with John Kirby, as I mentioned, coming up here. And one of the things that he mentioned to us last time we talked to him was that the starting offensive line was actually in, in pretty good shape relative to other past years with Kansas, okay. but you didn't know if you had the depth there. And, and we talk about this all the time. Like you are going to play your sixth, seventh, yeah. eighth offensive lineman. You need to plan for injury in a lot of positions in football, but, and it's, but it starts with the offensive line. You need to plan for injuries with the offensive line. It, and that that's not a good thing, but it's the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. And so this guy can come in, whether he competes for a starting job, whether he is one of those depth pieces that is getting time, whether he's a guy that, you know, like I said, plays in four games of depth and red shirts. You're either way, and you're, you're you're happy with what you're getting here. I agree, and and I'm not sure what system. Do we know was was an assistant hired to replace Leipold at Buffalo? Yeah, it was an internal hire. So theoretically, I don't know this, but they they run kind of that unique zone blocking system. Yeah, it's like the, the wide zone stretch run kind and of. So scheme. if you've got a guy that's already cemented at least the, in the fundamentals of that because we talked a lot about how it's all about kind of building you know you build your strength in the offseason but really last season was alert for a, for a lot of offensive linemen um whether they be transfer guys like Colin you know Colin Grunhardt obviously has, has kind of uh, stepped away from the game of football but he was a transfer guy but then you had guys who were at KU the year before uh, Leipold arrived and still weren't familiar with and so a lot of last year was learning about the technique of, of, of how Leipold uses that zone blocking scheme. If you can have a guy who, um, ha who, who knows that already, that's huge. But then another reason depth is important is because, you know, is you don't want to just throw a guy in who, uh, you know, is completely out of whack with, with what he's supposed to be doing. If you can get a guy who, you know, let's just say, this position gets injured. Okay, so then, you know, let, let's just, I don't want to pick on anybody, but just to use an example, let's say um, a tackle happens to get injured. Well, then a lot of times what you would do is you'd use a guard, you'd cut that, you'd move that guard. I don't know if this is what they would do, but normally you would move that guard outside on that same side of the ball to play tackle, and then somebody would come off the bench to replace the guard is how a lot of teams would handle it. So if you can put yourself in a position where you have eight, nine guys 
who know the exact fundamentals and, and how the zone blocking scheme that Leipold likes to run works, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, you can't have enough of those. So uh, that's great there. By the way, it is Lance Leipold's birthday. Did you know that? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. So he's a, a fellow Taurus like myself. I don't, you know, work that he, I don't know much about that other than he, <laughs> he once, know he is. Yeah. He once coached the Bulls, uh, and that's a Taurus. Um, but beyond that, I, I don't know what it means to be a Taurus mm. other than that I am, and apparently Coach Leipold is too. This is interesting. I'm not really into the, no, me what is either. it called? Astrology? Astrology, I think. I, I don't really, I don't follow it much either. I, every Everyone I read, it's always vague enough. Right. If you're describing a certain personality, it's always vague enough. Like, a Taurus needs oxygen to survive. Whoa, that's so me. Right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, happy birthday. Not to get too far off topic. I do like, though, that he's a Taurus and he once coached a team called mm-hmm. the Bulls. That is fitting. Uh, but, yeah, happy birthday, coach. I hope um, you enjoy it at uh, however you like to enjoy things. I, I uh, this know. does not sound like Lance. I'm reading about this. It's true that in a perfect world, Torians would spend all day bathing in a tub overflowing with essential oils. <laughs> at the same time, no. these earth signs know the value of a dollar. Torians aren't afraid to roll up their sleeves and work. Uh, okay, well, that's light-pulled. They're ambitious, focused, and resilient. Okay. And they feel most secure when steadily putting money into a savings account. That's not me. <laughs> Okay. I'm, I'm not yeah. exactly Mr. Mr. Penny Pincher. Mm. Maybe maybe Lance Leipold is. Yeah. I don't know. He's making millions, so it's a little easier. Um, okay, so Lance Leipold now is headed into what essentially, you know, it, it says this is year two for him. Do you view this as year two? Do you view it as year one and a half? Do you view this as year one because I, of how last year started? Let me say this. I wouldn't normally view it as like a, a standard year two. I sincerely believe in college football, at least at the FBS level, you should not be more than, I would normally say, two years away from being able to to go to a bowl. There are 80 teams, maybe it's down to like 78 now, but I think 80 teams go to a bowl. I think you should never be more than two years away from, from talking about going to a bowl. Um, because of the desperate way that KU football has been in, over the past decade, maybe I'd make that more like three years. So I'm not going to say much if KU doesn't go to a bowl this year. I, I, I'll i go, no, in fact, I'll go to the other side. I'd be shocked if they do. Um, But it's, it's, it's year two enough in my mind that I think they need to be better than they were this past year. Um, But again, you look at Mark, now Mark Mangino, that was a different time. That was kind of back, you know, you only played eight Big 12 teams. You weren't required to play another Power 5 team in your non-con. Um, so you could really, you know, Mangino kind of used the Bill Snyder approach where he really loaded up on struggling uh, teams in his non-con to really, you know, not quite guarantee, but close to guarantee you three or four wins before conference play even starts. You can't really do that anymore. Um I'll start with I think they they shouldn't need a last minute touchdown to beat their FCS opponent. I'll start there. Um you know, so I I think they you know, it's they don't need to make the jump that again, you know, like Mangino, they don't need to make that sort of jump uh from 2 and 10 to bull eligibility, but they need to show clear improvement. I need to see very clear fruits of the benefits of um 
what it meant to have a full spring with this team. Yeah, but I guess I just mean like, like but how it, do you view this in terms of his years? Because I I think it's it's a it's an uncommon year too. I'll call it. See, I'm I'm more leaning that it is closer to the year one, but they showed so much progress at the end of the year that I guess the the right answer is probably year and a half. I don't think this is clear year two where typically you are saying yeah in year two you want to see all these signs of progress like if they go out there this year and go two and ten yeah it'd be you know slightly disappointing yeah it wouldn't be cause for no like if it's not going to be um turner gill for example his first year they go three and nine his second year i'm not even sure if he made it through the full season but they went two and ten like you can't you know it's not like that so i you know what about the term like Year two with a mulligan. Yeah, you know, sure. An asterisk year two. But I guess, uh, like, the reason I bring this up is that I, I don't think it becomes as, as important this year, but I think it becomes more important in years down the road because I, I think for a lot of people, they've kind of circled the idea that in 2023, so that would be his third year at the helm, mm -hmm. like, that is the bowl type of season. And what I'm basically saying here is that, like, maybe – the expectation should be by year four instead because of the fact that that would be more like year three. Uh, yeah, and and I think you need to also take into consideration, and again, I, I go back to what I just said. I, I um, Under normal circumstances, I would say a program, even a program as dire as KU, probably should start thinking about bowls in year three of a coaching regime. I think a lot of places it's fair to, th to start thinking about year two. Uh, I mean, just look at what Frost did at Central Florida, man. Um, it's possible. Now, you know, it's it's every program is a little different. But, I but yes, I'll add, I'll amend what I said and say that if they go 4-8 and eight or 5-7 and seven in year three and don't make a bowl, I'm not going to, you know, it, it, I'm not going to have similar expectations to a guy that would have been hired in, let's see, 2021. So, like, I do think it's fair to have different expectations of Lance Leipold coming into this year since he was hired in, what, April of 2021 mm -hmm. than the expectations you would have had if you were hired in November of 2020. Okay, I have a couple of hypotheticals for you here. So KU goes 0-12 this year. Ugh. What do they have to show at that point in 2023 for you to think that they this need is to be, going the right way? They need to be good. They need to be for, well... I don't know how good four games. They need to win four or five games. Like, they need to show a lot. But, see, I think there's an argument to be made that if they, you know, what, because here's, here's hypothetical, the, uh, hypothetical number two. If they go four and eight this year, but then two and ten in 2023, like, what would you be worried. thinking, right? So what would worry you more? What would worry you more? A four and eight this year followed by two and ten in 2023 or 0 oh and 12 this year followed by four and eight or three and nine? Oh, oh, three and ooh, that's. I don't know, man. If you're still going, regardless of what you do in year two, if this program's still going three and nine or two and ten, I don't care what. Well, that's a lot unless they they peel off a bowl by some miracle this year. But if they have the year that we're kind of expecting them, a, a difficult two to three win year, or maybe you know they maybe step back and and uh, to what you're offering the hypothetical and go zero and twelve, I don't. It, there are scenarios that I don't care what they do this year. If they're still only going two and ten by year three, I'm questioning how much I like this hire. And right now, I don't expect. I want to be clear. And look, and I know you know this, and I know this, 
But for anybody listening, we're not throwing out these hypotheticals as things we expect. We just like to be proactive mm-hmm. so we're not sitting here in 2023 and making, you know, we want you as listeners to be able to call us out. And if we're making declarations in 2023 uh, that counter what we're saying now, you know, we, we want to be called out on that. So that's why we present these hypotheticals, because we want to be proactive and, and make clear our expectations. Oh, yeah, yeah. To answer your question, I guess I would be happier with a 0-12 this year followed by a 4-8 and the following year. Um because I am still going into this year with with looking at you know smaller details as improvements, not necessarily win total improvements. Um, but regardless, I'm still if they and if you're if you, two and ten in year three is is will be very worrisome if it happens. Yeah. Regardless of what they do this year, and I I do think they're on the right track, and I, I like this coaching staff. That I'm not expecting that to happen. Um, it's just yeah, kind of kind of fodder to bring up. I I will say the one thing that makes it difficult for this year, for them to see that the big win increase this year is, like, for you to get four wins, which would be the most since Mark Mangino, you obviously, at that point, you have to win your FCS game and win three games against not just FBS teams, but for all intensive purposes, Power 5 teams. Duke is a Power 5 team. Houston is in the AAC, but they're joining the Big 12 the next year. So, essentially, you're going to have to win three games, whether it's between Houston, Duke, and your Big 12 slate, against Power 5 teams plus an FCS game just to get four. So, I mean, you're talking not just having to, you know, win more games than than you have in years past, but doing it pretty much all against FBS teams. That that becomes tough for me. What I do think could open it up in years ahead, we don't know what the structure, we don't know what the schedule is going to be for both in terms of divisions, how many conference games you're going to play, and all of that going forward once Houston and Cincinnati and BYU and UCF all join the Big 12. And, and whether Texas and Oklahoma are in the league, I'm sure that impacts it as well because you're going to have different structures of divisions. But at some point along the way here, what happens if as part of a new divisional schedule, you are back to eight conference games as opposed to nine, yeah. and you do go back to those days 15 years ago where KU was able to slide in an extra game there where you're getting a game against an FCS opponent, a game against a MAC opponent, a game against a AAC opponent, and a game against a maybe lower power five opponent like a Duke or, or something like that to where you are able to grab an extra win a little bit easier like that. That could play into this, too, along the timeline here that could really help KU. I agree, but I also think there comes a point where it, your, your schedule needs to stop mattering. If you're a legitimate program... I mean, yes and no, but like... Like I, I like your schedule, like, okay, in 07, the schedule mattered in the sense that the schedule broke for them in such a way that they won 11 games. But that, that team was good enough, and against a lot of other schedules still would have gone eight and four or nine and three. This like, if you're saying the schedule could be the difference between seven and five or five and seven, I'm okay with that. And, and maybe that is what you mean. The schedule cannot be the difference between whether you go two and 10 or five and seven. Yeah, of course. Your program has to think four and eight or better every year. I just think on a period on a given year, like if it's, it's just tough because when you think about it, you think, Okay, for Kansas to make a bowl game right now to get to six wins, you got to go three and zero in the non-con and win three Big Twelve games. Yep, and it's it's tough to point out each and every year and say, well, what three teams are they beating? Because we've seen them beat one before. We've seen them, you know, maybe contend and get close to, or maybe even win a second Big Twelve game. But it's really hard to get a third. And then on top of that, you have to go undefeated in the non-con right now, which 
for the FCS game should be doable. For the the game that you play against maybe a MAC opponent or something should be doable. I think you should beat Duke this year. Uh, yeah, exactly. But the problem is this year you're playing Houston, Houston who's yeah. like a top twenty five borderline team. You know what I mean? It's like uh, that's where it does come into play and and could be the difference between a five and a six win season. Yeah, th- and that's and that's very mm-hmm. fair. You know, for example, Mark Mangino's first year. Or second year, they go six and five. They make a bowl game. They get slaughtered by Philip Rivers and NC State. Um, but I do think the schedule and the rest of the Big Twelve, you know, maybe being somewhat, you know, had you know helped um, KU probably from a, a a six and five to a um, you know to maybe a five and six something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm fine with that. I just mean that you know you can't. If you go two and ten, I I don't want to hear. You know this program needs to get to a point where you can't walk in after a two and ten season to go. Well, if that schedule was just a little easier, that can't be the case. Yeah, so I would agree with that. But uh, we'll see what is in store for this year for K football. We're going to talk more K football with John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant coming up in about fifteen minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM one hundred one seven and thirteen twenty KLWN. Depending on it. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for fifteen percent off with Home Field Apparel on your first order. Joined now on a Friday by John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Adam Dravetta, I am Derek Johnson. So, uh, John, we've already seen. You know, we obviously saw a lot of uh, I don't know, a couple handfuls, dozen or so of KU players leave the program, entering the portal, but. I don't think a lot of them were necessarily supposed to be, you know, huge impact players right away this season when they were able to bring back LJ Arnold, but they bring in three transfer additions so far. Uh, Douglas Emelian, the receiver from Minnesota, Flavio Gonzalez, who was at Butler Community College, and the most recent one earlier today, Dre Doran. I, I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce that, but uh, another offensive lineman coming in from Buffalo. So I guess first things first, how many of those three transfers do you envision uh, being as guys who are going to kind of take the field right away for this team? Well, Derek, I'll tell you, I don't, I don't really know if I know the answer to that question. Let, let me tell you why. Um, I don't know, especially as you look around and you talk to different college coaches out there and people who follow the portal, I don't know that everybody is sitting out there right now recruiting starters. I know that sounds weird, but here's what's going on. So you got KU, they went into it with seven spots open. They filled, what, three of them, so they still have four. Iowa State still got four. K-State has five or six. Uh, I talked to somebody at TCU the other day. They've got seven or eight. So if you start going around the country, Derek, and start picking out, like, the Power Five schools, my guess is you're going to have something like, 60, 70, 80 spots still open that everybody has available, okay? Well, when you look at the transfer portal right now, there may be 15 to 20 legit Power 5 guys in that portal, okay? So you're going to have to – 
I don't want to say reach, but you're going to have to do your research because if everybody's going to really use their spots on guys, there's no way that everybody's using their spots on starters. They're using their spots to have guys to, you know, to come in and compete maybe for a job, not knowing where that person's going to be, maybe coming in and being a, a backup. Today, DeAndre Doran, the, the offensive lineman from Buffalo, I mean, he started 10 games at right tackle as a freshman. Okay, so he's he's got four years to play three. So the question's going to be with him is, you know, he told me he's got to get a little stronger. You know, he played as a freshman. Um, he can play all five positions on the line. So do you redshirt him? Okay, you bring him in and go, hey, we're not looking at him to start this year. And if he doesn't win a, a backup role, or maybe you say he's got to get stronger, you still have him for three years of football if you want a red shirt. So he's almost more like a high school football player who's actually started 10 Division One games, which puts him way ahead of a high school prospect in terms of evaluation. So it, it, it's really tough right now with this portal. I don't think a lot of guys that are committing and, and, and being taken right now by Power 5 schools are guys who are going to be starters this year. Uh, you know, in, in Doran, um, a guy who has three years left of play, four years available, I guess, if, if he were to redshirt a year in the case of Gonzalez, you're talking about, you know, kind of the same thing, two years left to play, but three, if he were to use a redshirt year, uh, Emelian, a guy that, you know, comes in, I, I don't know what his classification would be since he redshirted a year in COVID year, if he has three years left or, or four years left, but does that feel like a design tactic for KU that the transfers they're going after now? are more of the guys that can stick around for long-term in case they aren't guys that can impact things right away on the field? Yeah, they are. And, and you know, I, I think they're going after guys who they see like, like Emelian, okay? Look, look at him in Minnesota, and people would say, well, he didn't play, okay? So how do you evaluate it? Well, you, you talk to people who were in the program. And, and I'll tell you something that goes on, Derek. These coaches all know each other. Okay, they all have friends on staffs everywhere. So when when Amelia goes in the transfer portal, I promise you there are coaches from KU who know coaches at Minnesota, and they call up and they say, "Hey, what is this kid like? Oh, he's a really good player, but he was behind four wide receivers. Minnesota returns all four starting wide receivers next year." Okay, so Amelia's saying, "Hey, I think I can play Power Five football. I know I can." I want to go somewhere and prove I can play, but you know, the staff here is settled on their four guys that they're going to go with. So he's behind these four. So he wants a chance to play. So they get on the phone. They call somebody in Minnesota. What's he like? Oh, good kid. Was he attitude problem? No, not at all. So, you know, these guys can all make these calls and find out about these kids and find out if they're going to be good fits in their program. But I think KU is using this in a way to, to build the roster through recruiting it's just not coming and play now coming and we need you now and there could be a case Derek here in the next week or two okay you could look at a couple guys okay I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tracking a couple guys who are one year and outs which is okay because if they change the 25 man limits and just tell you that you got to have 85 spots you can bring in one year guys and, and they don't hurt you so you can get rid of the guys or they leave your program after one year. Then you just go out and find another guy because you don't have a 25-man limit. So this thing really changes recruiting if this rule is passed. 
Yeah, that's it's very interesting to be more like basketball, where it's just you know you can have as much roster turnover as you'd like season to season. Though I think it'd be a little tougher to to put together a football team like you still want a lot of familiarity in there. Um, so I guess how many you know I I know it does depend very much on that rule, but um, obviously if they get rid of that rule, it's as, it's as many as they like. It, let's say that rule doesn't pass in in time for this to become a thing. Like how many transfers realistically can can KU go out and, and try to bring in right now? Like, is there a set number? Is it just a few more? Is it not really many more? Uh, what's kind of the, the target area that they can look at right now without that rule being passed? Well, th- again, that's kind of an open-ended question. Let me tell you why. Let, let's say the rule doesn't pass, okay? And I've got KU with four more spots to go. And let's say in the next week they find four guys they really like, okay? And they're technically done. And then the next week, Two or, two or three more players fall their way, and they're like, hey, these guys can help us. Whether it's this year, next year, we think this guy can help us. Well, then if the rule doesn't pass, then you can get creative. You can do the blue shirt thing. You could, I mean, there's things you can do, right, to where you can still increase that, that seven number. You can still go over that by being creative if they don't pass that 25-man rule. We're talking with John Kirby here of Jayhawk Slant on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Um, obviously, uh, you know, uh, of the three guys they brought in, two were offensive linemen, including the one today, as we mentioned. Um, and we had you on several weeks ago, and and you mentioned how uh, headed to the end of spring camp that it feels like the starting offensive line, or at least four of those five spots, are, are pretty set, but that one of the biggest questions you had for this team was the offensive line depth moving forward like who are going to be on the two deep who are going to be the the third string guys because as we know like you're going to play a lot of those depth guys on the offensive line guys get hurt guys get tired whatever it is uh so do you think they've done enough now with those two to answer those questions or do you think they're not even done now well i don't know if they're done now okay and then you've got to figure out you know fuchs is a he is a very good offensive line coach so he's going to have his five he's going to have his five guys and we know who those guys are going to be i mean Armaj Reed Adams has pretty much solidified that spot that Malik Clark left. So now you got to find three guys. You got to find a center. You got to find a swing guard and a swing tackle, right? That's that kind of seems how Fuchs has done this. That he wants his starting five, and then three guys he can count on to give those guys rest, or if somebody gets hurt. So you've also still got guys in the program, okay? Then you've got the guys that they've recruited now, and then. You've still got the guys we don't know about, okay? And I still think they're going to look for at least one to two more offensive linemen in there. But, Derek, the answer is yes. It is a concern because the starting five, I think the starting five can be pretty good. I think the starting five can can open up holes in the run game, which is really what they want to do. You saw last year they got the, – the sacks allowed were tremendous. They improved throughout the year. The off The starting five – I'm good with. I think it's Big 12 caliber. And that may not be upper end Big 12 caliber, but I think those kids can play and play together well as a unit. But the question is going to be, they can't get hurt, okay? And then who's going to step up and win those three spots behind them? Yeah, and I guess so. Uh, Who knows? Maybe one of these kids who transfers in or if they uh, add somebody else. Are there any other positions as you look at? um, I know you mentioned four spots, and again, that can, again, fluctuate with uh, the different rules depending on what passes. But let's say outside of the offensive line, what is maybe a position or a couple positions that you think they'd most want to target in the portal? 
Well, I still think um, defensive end. I think they'll look there. I definitely know they're going to look for defensive backs. Okay, I think they could take up to three defensive backs, and I don't know if that's going to be two corners and a safety or two safeties and a corner. Um, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, I still think they're going to look at a wide receiver. Um, I, I believe we'll hear something here in the next few days about a possible visit next week. Um, so I, I just still think there are several positions they're looking at, and I still think that they would, you know, definitely take one to two linemen if they found them. Now, here's what I don't think they'll do, Derek. I don't think they're going to press and go get guys that they say, this guy doesn't fit what we're doing. Because, I, and I want to be careful here, but I talked to a college coach the other day, and he said they had three spots to give. And it, it wasn't at KU, it was at another school. And this guy kind of said, you know, we're bringing in a couple kids this weekend that the staff's 50-50 whether they like them or not but they're probably going to take these guys just to be done, just to be done with their spots, and they don't have to keep worrying about this. So basically you're just kind of filling a roster spot that you have, and you don't get to carry these forward, right? So you, KU had seven spots. They don't get those initials moving forward next year from the portal guys that are available now. So I think some people out there are just with the attitude of, hey, just go get this kid. we got two spots left. I don't know if he'll ever play for us, but just go get it. So I, I don't, to me, I don't think that's how KU and that's how they operate. I think they're going to get guys that they see that will help them. And if they, if they don't, they'll just stop it at seven. Talking with John Kirby here for a few more minutes on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is a little more off the beaten path from the transfer portal stuff, but uh, I, I know there's been some talk about uh, you know KU's in-state recruiting efforts and, and where things are at with that. What's your estimation on what the staff and, and how they're doing locally. Are they running into more hurdles than expected, or are things looking good overall, especially with that big class in uh, 2023 ahead? Yeah, Derek, you know, it's, it's a challenge, okay? And I think, for, first of all, these guys have just been on campus for a year, okay? And, and Derek, you and I have talked about this. Kansas football has, has not won more than three games in a season since 2009. Okay, so you look at any recruit who's coming up right now, especially locally, okay, they've seen Kansas football always at the bottom end. So Leipold and his staff will have to change that. They're going to need some wins to change how recruits here locally view them. What, what, what's funny to me is, is you can get a, a high three-star defensive end from Florida on the phone and he's like, man, I did a virtual tour. KU looks awesome. I can't, I'm setting an official visit. I can't wait to get up to KU. And, and no knock on any guy around here, but this kid down in Florida is better than any DN I've seen around here. Okay? So it's, it's just funny how a kid could be so many miles away and view KU differently than a kid who lives 45 minutes from KU. So – this is what I'll say about in-state recruiting, Derek. First of all, there's a lot of people who are uninformed. They don't understand. They don't know. They're not really qualified to know. Now, they may have an opinion because they heard something from some coach on a staff, but they have no clue. This staff has offered more players locally than any other college. They've offered more players than K-State. They've offered more players than KU, than Missouri. Okay, They have... They have put in a ton of time 
on some kids. I think they've even, I think there are some recruits around here who are local, who are high level recruits. They, they're, they haven't let up on them. They're still recruiting them. And I don't think they're going to get them, but they're still recruiting them. And I think they're doing it right. And I'm going to tell you why. You've got to keep going back and you've got to keep going back and you've got to keep being seen. Okay. I know there's some KU coaches that are going to be out on the road next week locally. It will be their third trip into some of these schools locally. They aren't going to get the kids that are there, but they're going to keep going back and they're going to let these coaches know that they're there. The problem that's been in the past at KU is coaches after a year say, oh, we're not going to get this kid and we're not going to get the kid behind him. I'm going to quit going there. I'm going to focus elsewhere. KU's not doing that. They're going back and they're going to keep recruiting. I've talked to many high school coaches. I've been friends with a lot of them for a long time. They like what they see from the KU staff, but it's going to take a little bit of change of perception because KU won zero games two years ago, and they won two games last year. And local recruits are getting hammered by Oklahoma and K-State, who was in bowl games, and Missouri, and Notre Dame just came in and offered a couple of them. So, you know, this area is being heavily recruited, so it's just going to take some time. All right, I I have a uh, more back-on-the-football-field question for you. Um, As far as somebody who maybe wasn't on the team for spring, whether it's a transfer freshman who hasn't arrived yet, uh, is there somebody that sticks out to you uh, as as, a guy who wasn't there for the spring that you think can have a big impact for this team come the fall? You know, I'll tell you a guy I like, and, and he's always been kind of a mystery to me. Joey Baker is an offensive lineman from South Lake Carroll. I mean, they're a top 10 program in the nation. This kid started two years at left tackle for him. And it was crazy. Some of the, some of the defensive ends he went up against and the job he did against them for him to not have many offers. I think he is a kid who can come in. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's going to be a tackle. But I could see him coming in and battling for, like, that center job or the backup center job. He's tough. I love talking to the kid. He's just a he, – he the kid doesn't do any social media. He won't even return your text. you got to call him to get him on the phone. He's just kind of this blue-collar guy, but he comes from one of the nation's top programs. He's athletic, and he understands and loves the game of football. And, you know, maybe he might need to put on about 10 pounds, but I I think he's somebody to come in and push somebody in the interior part of that line, especially in that in that two deep. Well, that would certainly help that offensive line. He is John Kirby. Check out all his stuff at Jayhawk Slant. I know they've got a really good uh, promotion going on at the Slant right now where you can get some uh, free stuff till uh, the start of the season. John, before we let you go, though, my producer and co-host Adam Dravetta, one last thing with him. All right, John, one last thing. The soap on your bathroom sink, is it to the left or the right of your faucet? <laughs> it is. Um, you know, it's, un- it's right under it. I think my wife's got this little thing that hangs down from the shower, so it's right in the middle of it. So it's neither one. All right, there we go. We get a little insight into John Kirby. Again, subscribe to Jayhawk <laughs> Slant. Good deals going on right there. John, appreciate the time as always, man. All right, guys, take care. All right, that's John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
We're going to be done with the Sizzling 16 after today. We'll have our full grade 8 set. And uh, right now we already know two of or three of the matchups. We're going to find out the fourth today because all of our uh, Sizzling 16 action today is in the West region. Two matchups are first between the two seed and the 14 seed. A pair of Ryans. We've had a couple of uh, name battles so far. We had the Nick battle in the Sizzling 16. Ryan has, well, I should say Ryan Schlesner has already been in a uh, Ryan battle as well in the first round. Now he gets a second one in the Sizzling 16. I guess this is the region of Ryans here. Um, and so... Uh, Ryan Schlesner, you are the two seed. This is your uh, third straight appearance in the Sizzling 16. You're just one of three people to make it all three years. Now, you made the grade eight last year. So uh, as you try to make that natural progression, it would be to get to the Phenomenal Four because you went 16 to eight, and and that's the goal uh, for you this year. How are you feeling headed into this matchup? Well, I was feeling great until I had uh, the little tech fiasco a minute ago. Now I got a little butterflies in my stomach. So hopefully that won't uh, knock me off my game. But no, I'm excited. I know Ryan's going to be a great competitor. Uh, it's been hard to not, not that this is a trap game by any means, because, you know, he's a great competitor, but it's been hard with as much hype as Doug's getting uh, and Doug has been getting to not think, man, if I could get through this one, then I got a shot to take down the guy that they're saying is going to win it all. So trying to stay focused on the opportunity in front of me today. Yeah, he he certainly is uh, drawing a show on his own. And, and Ryan, you've gone seven and two in trivia, 22 and four in question, six and one this year. I want to make mention of this. Um, uh, so we, we tweeted out a graphic with some, you know, who had the most correct trivia uh, answers over the course of time. You got left off the list. So do you feel like you have an extra chip on your shoulder? Because you would be in the top 10. You just got forgotten as part of the graphic. Do you have an extra chip on your shoulder headed into this matchup? I don't think I have a chip on my shoulder. Honestly, what it did was I looked at that list and I thought, holy cow, I've won this many matchups and haven't even answered 20, 20 was the lowest on the thing. I was like, I haven't had any hard matchups. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. So knowing that I actually do belong in that top 10 has given me a little bit of boost of confidence coming into today. And appreciate you wearing the home whites. You got the home white KU jersey signed. I can't tell by who. Um, is it Russell Robinson? Yeah, so uh, it's a joke to me. My grandma got this for me. She was a huge KU fan. It's a it's a Nike jersey, so obviously pre any of these guys, but it's signed by a bunch of the 08 champions. There you uh, go. It's got Russ Robb, Sasha Khan, you know, a bunch of those guys. But it obviously they didn't wear Nike, so it's just an interesting choice. Well, it could be a good omen. Uh, Ryan Brown, you are the opponent, the other Ryan going in this one. You're the 14 seed. Uh, Garrett Nice made it to the, uh, the grade eight. He's a 15, so you wouldn't be the lowest seed, but you certainly – would maintain Cinderella status as a 14 seed. You've gone 2-0. and Haven't had to answer a ton of questions. You've gone 5-0, and but you've nailed everything we've put in front of you. And every time we've talked to you, you've, you've kind of downplayed your ability in trivia. We, we've kind of nicknamed you Sandbagging Ryan here on the show. So uh, what, do you, what do you feel for this matchup in store for you today? Um, I'm just happy to be here, honestly. Uh, I've gotten extremely fortunate with the questions that I've, I have no idea who played on what team, how many points they scored or anything like that. I just know that, you know, we wore, you know, Nike jerseys, for example, before Adidas, just weird things like that, that have no consequence. I've been pretty lucky. Well, that is the beauty of trivia. It's kind of, you know, things that maybe some would say are useless knowledge. We're putting that to the test. Very useful knowledge here in RCST trivia. You're wearing the blue. So you have your, your road uniform um, going into this one, and uh, where where are you coming from? Are you, are you a Lawrence guy? Do you live here in town, or are you coming from uh, somewhere else? No, I'm in Kansas City. 
All right, so uh, nearby as well. Well, uh, we are going to get into the matchup. Once again, RCST Trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kirk Easter State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, CBD of Lawrence, Home Field Apparel, Pella Windows and Doors, RockChuck.io, Jayhawk Trophy, and Wine Bros, our title sponsor, 23rd Street Brewery. And uh, to this point, both of you guys have already racked up a couple of $25 gift cards to the brewery, a $20 gift card to CBD of Lawrence, an RCST Trivia t-shirt, $10 to Hawaiian Bros, that thanks to Kurt Geezer, State Farm, a voucher for a free sandwich and breakfast sandwich to McDonald's in Lawrence. Whoever wins goes to the grade eight. You get a voucher for a free VIP car wash at Mr. D's Auto Wash, located at 1300 West 6th Street. Get your car looking good at Mr. D's. You're going to get $30 of Jayhawk NFT credit at rockchalk.io, so you can get your KU NFT collection started or continue it as part of the Jayhawk NFT community. Another $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, because every round you advance, that's another one where you can get yourself some more Bill Self mac and cheese, Crimson Fog, or whatever you like to wash it down. You get auto entrance into RCST Trivia 2023, and you're going to get some home field apparel gear uh, thanks to Pella Doors and Windows. Pella can handle all your window and doors needs from turnkey replacement to new construction and commercial applications. Uh, you can also use code Talk all one word, for 15% off your first home field apparel order. All right, let's cue the music as we get into the matchup here. And Ryan Brown, you are the lower seeds. You have the option once again. Would you rather go first or go second? I'm going to stick with going second. It ain't broke. Don't fix it. Means Ryan Schlesner, you are up first. Sizzling 16, spotting the grade eight on the line. Into the easy column we go. Ryan Schlesner, what is the furthest Nick Collison ever made it in the NCAA tournament? He lost in the 03 championship game. That's right. Runner-up, national title game. Those all would have sufficed. What you said worked. And a bitter end for Nick Collison, but phenomenal career with KU. All right, Ryan Brown, this one for you. What's the furthest that Devontae Graham ever made it in the NCAA tournament? Um, final four. Um, that works. Semifinal. Yep. Final four, semifinal. And then they uh, that didn't end well either with Villanova. But, you know, it's about the journey, not, not how it ends always. Okay, uh, on to the medium round. Back to you, Ryan Schlesner. What Oklahoma guard holds the record for most points against KU in multiple overtime periods, scoring 13 of them, doing so in a 2016 triple overtime game. Buddy Heald. Buddy Buckets. I always say everybody who goes to KU needs to have a game at, at uh, Allen Fieldhouse they're never going to forget, and that was yours. Yes, it was. Night before my 21st birthday, so you can only imagine it was even more fun. Okay, uh, back to you, Ryan Brown. What Memphis freshman guard scored 18 points and added eight assists in the 2008 National Championship game against KU? Uh, Derrick Rose. Yep, Derrick Rose. The ones that can't get out of my mind, one of them's in one shiny moment, the the like up and under and one layup that he had, or I thought it was an and one, and then the banked in three. The banked in three felt like turned it sealed out to the be game, a, a right? Big, well, it that turned out not to, be, not to be a three either. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a was very, very big, uh, yeah. very big note. Otherwise, Mario's miracle is just to make it a one-point game and maybe cover the spread, right? Which that would be a bad beat. All right, we're going to get on to the hard round, change up the music, add to the intensity in our battle of Ryan's. Back to you, Ryan Schlesner. What is the furthest that Kenny Gregory ever made it in the NCAA tournament? A lot of not great years there. 
Um, I think he got two wins, though. I'm going to say Sweet 16. That's right. Hey, the Sweet 16, that would have been his senior year, correct? Oh, oh, one, right? Yeah. Lost. What, I think that's right. Is that coming up at all? No, so that's not giving away yeah. a future answer. No, um, lost to Bill Self. Yeah. 80 to 64, that Illinois team in San Antonio. All right, to you, Ryan Brown. What's the furthest that Greg Ostertag ever made it in the NCAA tournament? Um, Final four? 93? Yep, 93. That's a good answer. That's Great that's, memory. Yep. Kind of, he was he was kind of reserved on yeah, that team. Yeah, exactly. Right? He was he was a, he was off the bench, and I don't even how much I don't even know how much he got off the bench. Um, that ninety three Final Four team. So well well done, both of you guys, on those questions. All right, now to the really hard round. I don't think we've gotten to the really hard round in a while here. It's mostly been ending in the hard round. Okay, back to you, Ryan Schlesner. Prior to the twenty twenty one tournament loss to USC, the previous mark for KU's biggest tournament loss was 18 points in a 1940 NCAA tournament game against who? I'm kicking myself right now because I went through and I wrote down and I, I purposely didn't write down the one that was in the media guide because I knew that the USC one had been bigger. So I wrote down USC on my study guide. Oh, gosh, 1940. Ten seconds. Indiana. <laughs> you still got it anyway. Indiana, and funny enough, it was in the NCAA title game. I guess it's not funny to lose by 18 no, in the NCAA no, title. No, no, but you are correct. It was yeah. in the NCAA title. Woo, Ryan with a big one. Right, Ryan Brown. That was the second NCAA championship game ever in college basketball. Wow. Ryan Brown, got to hit this dancer. Next on that list for worst NCAA tournament loss, behind USC and Indiana, so it would be third, was what opponent in 1974 by 17 points? I would guess UCLA. That's right. Woo! We got a fun one. That uh, that 74 UCLA has come up. Uh, it's been a couple a, times, yeah. Yeah, a few times in this tournament. So if you've been listening uh, back on podcasts or listening live to these <laughs> trivias. It helps. Yeah. All right, sticking in the really hard round. Back to you, Ryan Schlesner. Who did Kansas defeat in the 1940 NCAA West Regional Final before falling to Indiana in that national championship game? All right. Uh, this one I have legitimately no idea. I know it would have been. There was only 16 teams. West region. I'm going to say UCLA. Not a bad guess. On the right track. It was the team that UCLA had to consistently beat out to get into the West region uh, in the uh, wooden days. It was, you want to say? rival, USC. USC. USC, the correct answer there, and you may you may have been uh, doomed from the start there, Ryan, because there was a, that was during the eight team era. That was even mm. pre sixteen team. All right, Ryan Brown, your chance to win it, and make the grade eight. Who did Kansas defeat in the nineteen fifty two Final Four before eventually winning the title? Uh, 
You mean the national semifinal? Yes. So, yeah. Okay. Um, 10 seconds. Let's go with um, Santa Clara. Dick Soares. Who is this guy? Dick Soares. Dick Soares. Leading scorer with a interesting name for Santa Clara in that game. Um, all right, so I uh, will start there. This was a phenomenal matchup from both of you guys. Ryan Brown continues to sandbag us. Now he's on to the grade eight, and now I'm starting to think he's going to sandbag his way to a title. Uh, Ryan, how did you know the answer to the uh, Santa Clara one, and, and how did you know the UCLA one? Were those both just kind of educated guesses, or did you know it? I knew the UCLA from the uh, – I think there was a question earlier this week about some third-place games, and um, – that answer came. I don't know if it was an incorrect answer, but someone mentioned UCLA. So I knew that they were winning everything back then. So that was, and they're winning by a lot. So that was kind of the UCLA guess. Santa Clara, I know that Clyde LaBella played against Santa Clara at one point. There's like a photo in one of the old uh, media guides or something, but I had no idea what year. So I was just guessing. Well, Ryan Schlesner, did you know the answer to uh, that Santa Clara question um, that he just got at the end there? Yeah, I knew that one just from listening to the to the show. Just the luck of the the luck of the fall. Um, I felt like they were they were definitely a fair pair, though. Mine was older but had more context. His was a little bit more recent, but still. So yeah, it was just a tough break. I gave it the best shot I could on that that uh, USC question. But best of luck to you going forward, Ryan. Well, we love to see it sportsmanship from the two Ryans and Ryan Schlesner. Like I said, you, you can't hang your head low this is you know you're one of three people to make it to this round every single year and uh we'll see if we can make it four straight next year because i'm sure you'll be back and we look forward to having you back ryan brown continue to uh move on and now we got two cinderellas in the grade eight so congrats hey thank you very much thanks guys i uh i feel bad i gotta say because you know, in, in the first round, we had a couple, not a lot, but we had a couple extra shirts, extra gift cards. And so if you made a really great run in the, in the, like you had a, in a, a, you know, a great match and fell short in the first round, mm-hmm. we were able to give a few people, hey, we'll still give you an, a T-shirt. We'll still, you know, we're able to fix some people up. We don't have that opportunity anymore this late in the tournament. And if we did, uh, that would be somebody. That would be a person who came up short that would still be deserving of, mm-hmm. of maybe a little extra something. That was a hell of a match. Yeah, Ryan Schlesner did everything that he. Uh, you know, like I said, we haven't had a, a ton. If if any of these other matchups go to the really hard round, I think it's been a while. If we have, and um, usually you get one in the really hard. That's going to be enough to move on. But just kind of unfortunate that that was was what was interesting about that that the follow-up to his Indiana, the UCLA one, yeah. you could say, well, we had those questions earlier this week. There was no guarantee of that. KU lost in the Final Four and the third-place game that year. So, you know, UCLA ended up being the right guess, but it could have been the other team they lost to in that same tournament yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it, it just unfortunate that it worked out that way for Ryan Schlesner. Again, like he knew the Santa Clara one. Um, that's a good point. You are right. That that's one of those rare moments where you would have two losses in the in a tournament yeah. because of the third fourth place game. So uh, just unfortunate there. Ryan Schlesner is a uh, you know he's he's kind of a blue blood in this tournament. Anytime you can make three straight sizzling sixteens, including a grade eight last year. I know he he's like um 
I, I don't know. I hope he doesn't take this as like a, a non-compliment because it's supposed to be. He was like with, and I don't mean from like the cheating aspect of it, nor that I really care about coaches paying players, but nonetheless, um, he was like Sean Miller at Arizona. He like kept knocking at the door, kept yeah. getting ones and two seats, kept going to the Elite Eight, and then just couldn't get through. And it's like eventually, he, I, I'm sure he would have gotten through had, you know, things not gone yeah, the gone way they did at the yeah. end at, at Arizona off the court. That's how I feel with Ryan Schleisner. Like, eventually, he's going to break down the door. He's good enough that he can get through that point, but just uh, a little unfortunate there and, and ran into a buzzsaw on Ryan just Brown. A, a buzzsaw that doesn't— that This sees, is the region of death, man. A buzzsaw that insists he's a butter knife. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. And like I said, no, this absolutely is the region of death because every single time, like, whoever has, has won the game below the, the next game that Doug could possibly play, and, and I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk for Doug because Aaron Mayer absolutely has the uh, has the, the guts and the, the knowledge to take him down. So um, take that for what it will. But, like, everybody that advances and I'm like, oh, that's going to be who Doug would have to play if he does advance, I'm like, yeah. they could beat him because Doug is, is amazing. But, like, this seriously is the region of death. Like, All right, I'm, it's incredible. I'm calling it right now. There were four... Right? Um, yes. There were four questions in the really hard category that round. Mm-hmm. More, less, or equal. And now, to be clear, it's got to be an even number. So, zero or two right. or six or more. Mm-hmm. More, less, or equal um, in the Crumpton-Murray <laughs> v. Um, yeah, Aaron Mayer round. I... It's just tough. It's tough because you don't know what someone knows and what they don't. So I'll yeah. say under just because I, you know, it's just that's what the odds would be. Like most of our matchups haven't gotten that far. So I think the odds would say to do that. But no, it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if this this next matchup went, you know, eight really hard questions deep. Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. be at all. Oh, yeah. I agree. All right. He's Adam Brevetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to that other matchup, our finally, final sizzling 16 matchup. It'll be between the eight seed, Doug Crumpton-Murray, the five seed, Aaron Mayer, on the other side. You're listening to RCST Trivia on Rock Truck Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Truck Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. What a matchup we have to finish out the week. Uh, this is what many have said might be the matchup of the week with Doug Crumpton Murray, the eight seed and uh, an emerging titan in RCST trivia. Aaron Mayer is a titan in his own right, though. Uh, this is first sizzling 16 appearance, but... He went to the second round last year, and he was uh, a heck of a opponent a season ago. He only missed one question and ended up doing him in and um, obviously had a kind of a tough seeding situation, and that ends up being kind of the case once again here for Aaron. But 15-2 and two overall in questions, 8-1 and one this year. Doug, in his first ever trivia appearance, is 10-0. and oh. Once again, we get Doug in the great Jayhawk Blazer. Aaron, like your garb as well, wearing the RCST Trivia T-shirt. It's uh, Teacher Appreciation Week. Doug was just showing us some KU stuff that his students gave him, so uh, he's doing uh, good uh, Jayhawk spreading over there outside uh, in the state of, of California. But uh, as we get into this matchup, Aaron, you are the higher seed, but like, do you feel like you have kind of the underdog chip on your shoulder in this match? Oh, for sure. I mean, you and Adam have been talking about how <laughs> Doug's already going to go to the championship or the final four, so... 
I feel like I'm invisible in this tournament, so that's okay with me. Not a lot of pressure. That's right. Well, if you win this one, uh, you might become the favorite, right? That's that's almost how this stuff works. Well, Doug, we're gonna, are we going to have to learn what crow tastes like? Now? Yeah, yeah, we will. Uh, we've we've ate it before, uh, Doug. You uh, have really emerged, and, and you're getting a lot of the RCST trivia. You know, past contestants, current contestants, they're talking. They're talking about you. You're uh, making some noise in RCST trivia. How does it feel to be kind of the uh, the up and comer of this event? Riding that wave. Uh, it's been fun. I'm having a great time with it. I think I'm the furthest distance contestant away out here in California, but uh, always always representing my Lawrence and Jayhawk roots. So quick shout out to Sunset Hill Elementary, West Junior High School, Lawrence High School. Special shout out to my sister, the great sister of all time, Wendy, um, who is every bit the Jayhawk fan I am. So that's what happens when you grow up in Lawrence, man. You know, it's just it's just part of the culture. So it's great to reconnect. And uh, over a month, want to do well. Whatever happens, we're still national champions. You know, yeah. real quick, Doug, I have to ask because the other day I think I placed you in Lodi because I couldn't exactly remember what part of California you're it's in. Fresno. Is it Fresno? I'm in okay. Fresno, yeah. Uh, Lodi's up the road uh, going towards uh, Sacramento. So, uh, Aaron, um, uh, have you done any extra studying? Has, has the motivation of, of playing, Doug, has that led to maybe longer nights over the last week? No, I just got up early this morning. Been banging it out all, all morning. It's It's been – I haven't got a lot of work done, that's for sure, but <laughs> – Hopefully it pays off today and I get get the W. That's Friday. Nobody works today. All yeah, right. Well, Doug, um, I, I know you mentioned your mom giving out brownies and stuff to the team. Um, obviously, you're in California. I don't know how, how often you make it out to Lawrence for some of these prizes. We're going to have the ability to get to you even, even you know, overhead like uh, the, the Jayhawk NFT stuff and the home field apparel stuff they're going to ship out. Um, but uh, some of this stuff, is is your mom going to come by and pick it up? Can, can we get your mom an RCST trivia t-shirt? I think she deserves that would be one. awesome. Um, my goal is to make it back home and, and bring my mom out to meet you guys. That would be fantastic. That would be great. That'd well, be a pleasure, yes. Uh, maybe she'll make us some brownies. You think we're that special? I, I think she will. Oh, there we go. All right. Well, uh, I'm really excited for this matchup. I'm going to feel bad about whoever goes home because both of you guys are, are deserving to move on and I think even go further than that. But let's go ahead and uh, cue into the matchup here. The five seed, Aaron Mayer. The eight seed, Doug Crumpton Murray. And Doug, you are the lower seed, so you have the option. Do you want to go first or go second? I will go first. Okay. Doug's first, Aaron's second. And into the easy round of questions we go for you, Doug. Who did Kansas defeat in the 2008 Final Four? They defeated uh, North Carolina, and they defeated Memphis. Yep, North Carolina was the answer I was looking for. Yeah, for the purpose of the question, we're just we're just looking for yep. the semifinals. But you got it right. So you, yeah, you got oh, it right. I got, but, got confused. Yeah. My fault. There we go. For no, any, you got any, it right. For any listeners yeah. who may have been confused. All right, uh, for you, Aaron, who did Kansas defeat in the 2022 Final Four? So just need the uh, semifinal game. Villanova. Yep. Two fun ones. Both games that they uh, really got up early. Other teams sort of came back a little more so in the Villanova game. Although North Carolina actually got even closer. We knew we were going to Mass Street pretty, pretty before the buzzer for sure. Yep. All right, back to you, Doug. Ochai Baji was first on Kansas in three-pointers made this past season. Who was second on the team with 51 of them? 
That would be Brown. Yep, Christian Brown, second on the team. Might have thought Jalen Coleman lands or, I don't know, somebody else. But Christian Brown, the correct answer. All right, Aaron, back to you. What Jayhawk senior led the team with four made three-point makes going four for four in KU's 2012 comeback victory over Missouri from three? You say senior big man? No, I just said what senior went four for four from three in that comeback. 2012? Yep. Tyshawn? Connor Tehan. Oh, my. Connor Tehan is the answer. Is that one where you hear the answer right away and, and you're just kicking yourself and you just couldn't think of it in the process? Not really. I just couldn't remember Connor Tehan at all. <laughs> that would have done it for you. Yeah. Um, if you don't remember the player on the team, that certainly hurts. But yeah, he went four for four and like he was a fine three point shooter. He's thirty one percent. He was one of the, you know, top six players on the team in terms of minutes played and four for four from three in that game for senior Connor Tehan. And the, the biggest thing about that team is he's kind of the Connor Tehan's the perfect example of how great it was that that team made it to the title because you can just say, and no offense to Connor Tehan, he's a far better basketball player than I'll ever be. But just when you say the first guy off the bench was Connor Tian on a national runner-up team, that's crazy. Yep, great coaching job by Bill Self. So, Doug, you're moving on, and this has been the uh, the shortest of all your matchups. Um, so, uh, I guess going on to the grade eight, um, congratulations for moving on. It's exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. Well, Aaron, um, I, I feel like you're going to be upset with this one because you felt like you – you didn't reach your potential. I, I know you have a higher potential than what you showed in, in this one. Um, just kind of tough. Take me through your emotions right now. No, I'm just incredibly bummed out right now. <laughs> I can't believe I missed that. Uh, I did so much studying this morning. I was excited to face Doug. I was extremely excited to face Doug. I wanted to take him down because I knew you guys would, you know, go go nuts because obviously he's the favorite twin at all. So I'm just upset it went this way. I, I wish I would have done better, but – how it goes. Yeah, well, Connor Tehan will forever be etched in your mind, and sometimes there's only so much studying you can do. Like that one, you you know, you're not going to read back box scores of every single game. But uh, Aaron, appreciate you being in trivia. We hope to get you back next year. You, you are on a natural progression. You you moved up from last year, so that's a positive. Doug, moving on once again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Great, thank you very much. Ah man, that that's, was a bummer for that's Aaron. Tough. I I really feel for Aaron because he is. It's a shame when you go out on that, you know, because we call it the medium category. But as you said, there's only, you know, that's one of those things that you either know it or you right. don't. See, the, the thing and, is with those two questions, the Christian Brown one is easier in terms of remembering a player name, but you could convince yourself it was somebody else yeah, on the yeah, team yeah. that it was Remy Martin, although he maybe didn't play enough for Jalen Coleman Lance yeah. or whoever. The Connor Tehan one, if you just remember who Connor Tehan was. You remember that game, and and right, yeah. that's one of the more memorable yeah. games. You remember he would be the three point shooter on the team, the one but say, it's just harder to remember his name because it was longer ago. For not not just because he was a, a senior and and a guy who would have shot threes, but another reason Tyshawn was a good guess. Tyshawn actually made the three to start overtime that gave KU its first lead since whatever time in the first half. So, um, but yeah, that's a tough one because Aaron has proven and and. He knows this, and Doug knows. Anybody listening knows this. Aaron's proven 
throughout that 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 that's you know his KU knowledge is is far beyond just the fact that he happened to just get uh, um, a a blind spot in his in his knowledge today that happened to come in the medium category because he's a very worthy opponent. Right, and uh, yeah, just a little unfortunate there that that you forget that. See that it's funny. It's just it's you know different people mem- remember different things, and and that's an important thing to know. Like for me, that one sticks out so well, but. I could see why for other people it's just kind of a footnote, and you don't really think you think about Thomas Robinson and Tyshawn yep. Taylor on that team, right? So, well, and and Doug, a perfect example, and, and look, Doug, we obviously knows has done a great job, but he even admitted, I think, in, in his first was one of the number matchup, questions in well, the second gonna, round. Uh, the one I was going to say was the um, the the one where he was at the game where Kansas got its largest margin of victory uh, yeah. over Brown, and he just happened to know that because he was at the game. Yep. Um, and so that's one of those things where, you know, sometimes it just, you know, y- you can be very knowledgeable, but also it comes down to, you know, how different as things go right now if if Doug chooses to go second instead of first. Right. I mean, how many how many um, matches have we had decided just based so on, yeah. on who picked to go first or, or second? Um, it's tough, but uh, that's that's the way the tournament goes. And Aaron did a great job. Um and I, I, yeah, I was, I was hoping for for something epic like we had in the in the first uh, trivia go today, but uh, still, Doug, um, Doug v. Ryan in in the uh, grade eight should be a good one, and uh, that'll be our lowest combined seedings of anyone. So we get two seat two two one seeds in the grade eight. Um, we didn't get any. Th- no, we did get a three seed. Justin Nichols, two seed. Uh, the only one alive is is Andrew Filer. And then uh, outside of that, it's all fives or lower. Nick Schwert, Ryan Brown, Doug Crumpton Murray's an eight. Garrett Nice is a fifteen. Who do you think the lowest seed to make the phenomenal four will be? Um, let's see. I think. Well, I guess I would have to say. Well, I, I guess I would have to say Doug because I think he's going. He's an eight. Um, and I. I'll say this. I, All right, I, let me rearrange the question here. Which of the lower seeds in their matchups do you think has the best chance to move on? Doug. No, he's not the lower seed in his matchup. Oh, that's right. He's going up against a 14. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I don't know. Is it, now the uh, is is Garrett? Garrett's the 15, right? Uh, Garrett is the 15 and, against but Tyler. He, the one. The, he's going against Tyler. Mm-hmm. Um, who's going up against Schwartz? Three seeds. So Nick is okay, the lower. Okay, so that's yeah. Um, I don't know. Ryan showed us a lot earlier today, so I might lean. I don't know. Ryan showed us a lot earlier, and, and so I might lean him, even though he's going up against the juggernaut eight seed. That could be a great match. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was just thinking through the question. It took uh, Doug a little longer than normal to That's answer that point. easy question. That, uh, Did yeah. he show a little weakness? Who knows? Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a tough question. I think I would lean. I don't want to choose Nick, so I'm not going to. <laughs> I mean, I think Andrew Filer. I've said this before. Is going to have a good team around him to get him prepped for that game. But oh, gosh, Eric is just such a machine. And as much as we've talked about Doug, I think Ryan has. I, Ryan hasn't missed a question either. Yeah. I mean, think about that. You have two perfect uh, contestants so far. Doug is twelve and zero. Ryan Brown is 10 and 0. And their combined seating is 22. What <laughs> idiot made this right? bracket? Well, this is what happens when we have people who haven't joined before. And, you know, there's nothing really you can do. I mean, I could 
start doing like prep work on their Twitter accounts. But like, really, <laughs> like I'm not going to do that. We we one thing we can confirm is Doug and Ryan uh, will be will be higher seeds next year. Yes, that's for sure. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll continue our KU Club interviews. Brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. We are going to be talking to the KU Water Ski Club with a couple of their members on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. All right, our KU Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. Continue on. We have the KU Water Ski Club with us, a couple of uh, members, Parker Worley and Luke Hamilton, in with us here in the uh, studio. And, okay, uh, I guess first things first, and, and we'll go back and forth here between you, Parker, and, and Luke. So tell me about yourselves. Like, what year in school are you guys at KU? What is your uh, role with uh, the KU Water Ski Club? Okay, yeah. Um, my name is Parker Worley. I'm a sophomore uh, here at KU, and I'm the treasurer of the Water Ski Club. I'm Luke Hamilton. I'm a freshman at KU, and I'm the men's I'm the men's team captain. All right, so already a captain as a uh, freshman. How did you How did you get that title so early on? Uh, well, it's uh, kind of a rough story. Uh, one of our dear friends on the team, Levi Ward, was in. He was. We voted him as the men's team captain, but he was in a tragic accident a couple weeks ago, and so I took on his role as men's team captain. Well, it's unfortunate to hear. I'm sorry to, to bring up any, uh, I guess, wounds there. Um, so I guess uh, what was your guys' experience with with water skiing prior to, to coming to KU to, to being a part of, of the club? Had you had a lot of experience beforehand, or was this something where it's just like, ah, oh, that sounds kind of cool, like I'm going to get involved in that? Uh, myself, I grew up water skiing. My whole family's done it. I started when I was around three or four. And I've been going to summer competitions and camps in the summer. And all my siblings are on the KU team. There's been a Hamilton on the team for the past 20 years. And I'm the final one. Yeah, I mean, I skied recreationally um, growing up. And then summer before college, I actually roomed with uh, Luke's brother, Ray, uh, freshman year. And it was COVID, so um, I needed something to do, get out of the dorm, because all our classes were online. So Ray was like, come to water skiing, and I did, and I really enjoyed it. Well, that's that's really cool, and you have the, the long pedigree there for you. Um, so is, is there a lot of pressure for you, Luke, like uh, kind of backing that up with, with all that long line of, of Hamiltons who have who've been on this for you to perform well? You would think so, but we're just there to ski and have a good time. We're, we're open to everybody, and nobody feels any pressure. We're yes, all that, there for each other. Well, that was that was going to be my next question. Is this something where just anybody can can come by and join the team? Do you have tryouts for this? Is there, like, a specific entry period for when people join the team, or is it kind of just open throughout the year? Like, how does the, the whole registration process work? Um, it's pretty open-ended. You can come, and if you've never skied before, we'll get you up. We'll try to get you teach you how to ski. Um we have A and B teams for tournaments, but other than that, it's pretty chill. Just come ski out with us, and we'll accept you, yeah. Um, and what makes a good water skier? Like, what are what are traits, what are skills, uh, athletic traits, or mental traits that, that make you good at the sport? There's not, like, one specific, like, body type. I mean, yeah, like, sure, some are better than others. But, like, it just getting you up, it doesn't matter. You just want to have the willingness to learn. If you're not... If you're not going out there and wanting to do it, then you're probably not going to do it. You got to want to be there. 
So when do you guys start up for next season? Because I'd imagine this season is is over. I think graduation's in like a week or something for for KU and stuff. Uh, does the next season? Do you guys do stuff over the summer? Does this start up next semester? Is it still ongoing right now? When when is kind of the typical season for you guys? Um, yeah, so our team mainly practices throughout the school year, and in the summer we practice on our own. Um, so yeah, if one was to join, I would say come talk to us in August or so when school gets back going. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, with like competitions and stuff like that, like it, I'm sure you guys are entering, whether it's kind of local areas or, or traveling wherever, when do competitions typically run for you guys? Um, our main season is in the fall when we do all our um, main competitions. And we just finished our spring season, which was about two or three tournaments. And where are you guys going for those? Are they local? Are they out of town in other states? Where are you guys kind of traveling to? Um, this spring, we hosted a tournament here, actually, at Our Lake. And we went to Nebraska and went to UNL's tournament. Um, in the fall, we've been to most state and a few others. Um, I haven't been to too many since COVID. So. Yeah, COVID kind of threw a wrench in all the tournaments. Uh, KU really hasn't had a ski team in, like, three years due to various reasons. But next fall, we're going to hope to come back strong. So that's the idea there. Do you, do you guys have a favorite memory or favorite moment, whether it's been in practice or any competition, just kind of hanging out with each other or, or something, you know, on, on the, I don't know what to call it, on the field, on the, you know, on the lake or whatever? Um, I mean, we always just have a great time at tournaments. We all camp out at the lake and get really close. It's a bunch of team bonding is what it is. And all the other teams are very down to earth, just as us. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty open environment. Like anyone can come and be friends with us. We're not too picky. Yeah, we don't bite. (laughs) (laughs) So how are competitions scored? How how does this work? Are you guys doing tricks? Is there judges? Like what goes into that? There's three events. There's the slalom event, the trick event and the jump event. The in slalom, there's six buoys. And you just got to weave your way around each buoy. And whoever can do it at the fastest speed, at the shortest rope length, would win. Uh, And then in trick, it's just there's different tricks and different points for each trick. Um, And whoever gets the most points wins. And in jump, it's you hit a big five-foot ramp, and whoever goes the furthest wins. And how is that measured? Is I mean, is there like... I don't know. Is it just kind of like eyeball test or like? Oh, on the jump? Yeah, yeah. Uh, usually there's a camera and okay. it kind of just like triangulates how where the jumper. Okay, lands. so some pretty big technology in that. Um, yeah. Is is that something where you guys have like different roles for you know somebody's the jump guy, somebody is the the trick guy? Uh, does everybody on the team get to go, and then it's just kind of like the best you know performer on the team gets scored for that, um, or is it just kind of one person does everything? That's where A and B team comes in. Uh, Like, if you're a very good tricker, but you're not the best at slalom, you could do A team trick and B team slalom. Yeah. And But if you're a really good jumper, tricker, and slalomer, you're just A team all together. And even if we got you up two weeks ago, you could still be skiing B team in a tournament for us. And how many people are, are on the A team? How many people are on the B team? It's like five or six, right? Five for each event. Yeah, five yeah. for each. Is it is it somebody's job who's on your guys' team to drive the boat, or is that just done by somebody kind of randomly in the in the event? Um, d- 
during tournaments we have actual like officials drive our boats or the boats that they bring um but during practice it could be um one of our local lake members or it's usually one of us that are boat certified to drive uh, so I guess uh, the next thing here is, is as you guys are, are trying to get ready for, you know, traveling more, going to more competitions in the fall, is, is a lot of that kind of student funded? Are, are you paying entry fees yourself? Are you kind of doing this off your own dime? Do you, do you guys do fundraisers? How do you guys kind of put together the funds for everything? Yeah, so um, we sell T-shirts and um, we've done Chipotle nights before and whatnot. Um, I think this next year will look a little differently since we're coming out of COVID and we actually have tournaments that we'd like to get funded for uh, through our rec center at KU. Um, and there's ways of doing that. But yeah, so this year, though, um, it's basically come out of our own pockets for tournaments in terms of entry fees. But it's only been about 35 or $55 for each tournament. Is that something that people can help you with? I mean, obviously, when you're having a Chipotle night or when you're selling T-shirts and stuff, like how can people help you guys do you accept donations can they can they find the t-shirts on website yeah. or anything like that um yeah we um will start posting our t-shirts the last of them that we have for the year uh on our instagram to sell in a bit and then i think um just being the no um maybe Alyssa, who runs our instagram could put out we're gonna have more i guess merch in the future for next year um to help raise some money but we also have a donation link on if you go to like ku sports uh clubs i think there's donation links down and we're all the way at the bottom because we're water ski yeah it's alphabetical right yeah well that's all i got for you guys so uh parker luke appreciate you coming on and uh good luck next season thank you for thank you us. all right that is our ku club interview with the ku water ski team and these club interviews brought to you by johnny's tavern in north lawrence great spot to hang out grab a beer grab a bite to eat and feel like you're part of the family on the neighborhood porch that is johnny's tavern in north lawrence i don't know what it is uh, you know, all the Johnnies have great stuff and great food and great pizza and stuff. But everybody knows this, especially if you're here in Lawrence. The, the pizza at Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence, there's something extra about it. So go check that out at Johnny's North. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. 5 o'clock hour here, out a little bit early later in this hour for KUK State in the Sunflower Showdown in baseball, but at the top of the 5 o'clock hour here, joined by Josh Briscoe. Almost entirely sports on 810, Arrowhead Report on SI Now, Times Ours on The Athletic, and at JB Briscoe on Twitter. So, uh, Josh, I'm I'm tired of seeing all these letter grades for the Chiefs. Not that I'm tired in seeing that, you know, a lot of people seem to like what they've done, and you're seeing a lot of A's and, and solid grades in the draft. I'm, I'm just tired. I, I want a new, a new scale, a new system. Why does everything have to be, you know, A, B, C, or whatever? So... Uh, Josh, on a scale of Pikachu to Devin Booker, what would you rank oh the Chiefs God. draft? I think you've picked two things that rank very highly for me, so I guess if I'm going to do that, I'd, I'd say, um, oof, I'd give it an above that. No, you know what? I'd give it a fried chicken out mm. of Pikachu to Devin Booker. That's that's pretty darn that's, good. It's really good. You, there's not a place on that scale between Pikachu and Devin Booker that I could give to something that I didn't like. Like I would have to break the scale if I didn't care for this draft class. 
And I do love it. I, I Maybe not as much as Devin Booker and maybe not as much as Pikachu. I'm going to have to redo that scale personally, but I love where you're headed at. I love it. Okay. okay I feel like good. I've woken up in that episode of the Twilight <laughs> Zone where people are speaking English. <laughs> But, like, the words in the English language mean different things than when the guy went to sleep. And I'm very confused right now. I was worried when I asked that. I I wasn't sure what would be higher, Chris Paul or Devin Booker. So here's the thing, Adam. Um, Alphabet guacamole, uh, potato chip, didn't have dinner. And I think that right there explains it. Yeah. I don't know what else we could say to make this make sense to you. I don't know. Hey, Adam, can you please keep up? We're trying to do a radio show. I, I literally have seizures that affect the language <laughs> portion of my brain, and I've, I, I, I'm still boggled by everything that's going on. Hey, I, I have diabetes, okay? So we're going to, you know, we're, we both can play this game if you want. <laughs> diabetes is the first word you've said that I've understood so far. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand it. I need him to say it like diabetes, but uh, nonetheless. Right. Uh, Josh, so <laughs> what do you find more interesting about, well, you know, when I look at the draft for the Chief, I, Chiefs, I've, I found three kind of themes along the way, and I, I don't know that it holds true for each and every pick, but uh, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting with a lot of their early picks, it seemed like, not that they can't end up having high ceilings, but it seemed like a lot of their picks were maybe high floor guys, guys that can come in right away, have an impact, where like Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis can start, but maybe, you know, George Karloftis doesn't have the ceiling, even though he has a higher floor of like a, a Boy Mafe or Ebikiti or something like that. Um, so, that was one theme. Uh, another theme that I thought was of interesting was just, I guess, the value on athleticism they seem to place, which hasn't always been the case for the Chiefs in, in some recent drafts. But you look at, you see those RAS scores that people would go nuts about when you draft a guy who has them. When you draft a guy that doesn't, you don't really bring it up. Um, and then the third theme that I thought was interesting was just, I don't know, it seemed like they had a really high affinity for uh, like the pro football focus draft board. Like they had. Three of the, the their first picks were all top 25 guys on the PFF board. Uh, Darian Kennard, who they got in the fifth round, is, I, I think I saw in Pro Football Focus, he has the most positively graded run blocks in the Pro Football Focus college database of all time. So uh, which of those themes do you find to be most interesting of what the Chiefs did in the draft? I think I'll start with the first one because there, there's an analogy that I've been using this week, and then Brett Veach even kind of, uh, he didn't use the same analogy, but he used the same sort of theme around it in one of his press conferences, oh, I don't know, after after one of the nights of the draft, maybe it was even this week, I can't remember. Um, but, but it's the, the Chiefs drafted guys who can hop on a moving train because that's where the Chiefs are at. Like All of the conversations we've had over the last couple of months about like, hey, you know, how are the Chiefs going to reload? Like, no one thought they were going to tear it down to the studs and then rebuild completely. But like, well, so are they prepared to take a step back for a year or to kind of lightly contend and then hope your young guys catch up? Or, you know, what's the strategy going to be? And I really do think that this, this draft in particular, may, you can do floor and ceiling stuff, and you, you do that for anybody who's picked outside the top 10 or 15. But ultimately, I think the most clear thing there is that they got guys who can contribute now, that they're not going to have to slow down and let them get up to speed. For McDuffie and Karloftis, Sky Moore's interesting because receivers in Andy Reid's offense as a rookie, you know, that, that's a big ask. But, but Brian Cook and Leo Chanel, like, I think that all four of those, those first four defenders that they drafted, all four of those guys are going to get playing time early. Like, two of them are going to start day one. The other two are probably going to have role-playing roles day one. And I think that was very much intentional. And part of that is sort of, again, you want to do, like, the floor-stealing stuff. I think that's totally justified. But the, the little wrinkle in that, as you've also mentioned already, is the athleticism. And usually whenever you talk about guys who are, like, 
pro-ready or maybe don't have a super high ceiling. You're talking about guys whose, whose RIS scores look like Breland Speaks, and that's not where we're at right now. Like, I don't want to make George Karloftis Breland Speaks because he's got a, a lower ceiling and a higher floor. Like Speaks' floor was also low, and ultimately he just wasn't the athlete that, that he wasn't close to the athlete that George Karloftis is. He wasn't the athlete that almost any you know NFL current starters are. Um, so I, I do think that a combination of all those things comes together to form a really like clear logic to what their draft goals were. And if that, if that was the goal going into it, I think you've got to give them, you got to give them a, a Devin Booker-ish grade on the way out. <laughs> um, Brett Veach obviously proved in 2019 signing Tyron Matthew, uh, making the trade. I think a lot of people would argue it, it probably gave up a little more than you'd like uh, for Frank Clark, but ultimately he made contributions in that playoff run. The, when they won the, the world championship and they get back to the Super Bowl the next year. So Veach proved, that to use kind of a poker analogy, he proved he knows the right moves to make when it's time to go all in. Do you feel comfortable after this draft now that it looks like he's successfully shifted his mindset from an all-in, we haven't been to the Super Bowl in a half a century mindset, to we need to maximize everything we can out of the next 12 or so years we have of Patrick Mahomes' prime? Yeah, I think what it shows is that he, he does have different strategies for different moments, right? Like, to, to your point, I mean, I think on some level, because I can never let the Frank Clark thing totally go, like, the, the, the success of the Frank Clark trade is in part, you know, holding a Lombardi trophy. The price you pay of the Frank Clark trade is that you need to draft George Karloftis this year, and you might need to bring in Melvin Ingram again. You might need somebody else as well to try to, you know, uh, bolster the, the spots that maybe has gotten weaker because you didn't. You expected more from Frank Clark in the long term, right? Well, so you, you make that swing. Well, then what do you do? To, to adjust to it. The thing that I spent a lot of time over these last couple of weeks talking about specifically since the Tyreek Hill trade was, look, if, if Brett Veach tries to trade for the next version of Frank Clark, if it's a couple of high draft picks and a fresh new contract for a defensive end, that would concern me because he, he didn't learn from what was ultimately a mistake in the long haul, you know, and you want to do the three weeks of playoff run, whatever. We can, you know, relitigate that if you want. But ultimately, yeah, it, this is – this is showing that he has more than one move, right? It's not just a speed rush or a bull rush or whatever. The different situations can project to different actions for each. And in this case, it was to keep your poker analogy, I guess, holding your cards, letting the hand play out, and then as soon as you see more cards out on the flop that make you feel a little bit better, you do move up and you go get Trip McDuffie, or you do move up uh, to go get uh, Darian Kennard after trading back and still getting Sky Moore. Like, this was a very different playbook for Brett Beach this year, uh, and I think that the universal praise around it is, makes me happy because this is kind of what I was hoping that this, this process might look like, where they're using these picks to try to get better for the long haul more than just trying to get better for 22. What do you think proper expectations should be for Sky Moore, both as a rookie and then in year two? I like the pick, and also I'm going to tell you that I think that his expectations as a rookie should be low. Like, maybe upsettingly low. Not because I doubt him as a player, but because I do have a lot of respect for, for how rare it is for a rookie to come in and contribute early on. 
Um, you can go back and, and look at like Deshaun Jackson and Jeremy Macklin and find yourself a a, a, way, a world in which a rookie can contribute. But you go back to you know Tyreek Hill wasn't the, the all around receiver that Sky Moore is right now. So maybe he is a little more productive as a rookie than Hill was. Maybe he's even a little more productive as a rookie than McCole Hardman was. Um, because again, I think Sky Moore is more of a receiver with with maybe fewer pop off the screen dominant traits than like McCole Hardman this time early in his career. But I would say in the long haul, you you expect him. I would say you want to expect him to be your number one receiver in two years. And maybe that doesn't mean he's Jamar Chase, but maybe that means, hey, he's the best guy out here. But defenses have to respect, you know, the the whole collective. Um, Ultimately, though, as a rookie, I think you want to see him be a positive role player where this offense is is running through Travis Kelsey. Uh, The second weapon in this offense becomes Juju Smith-Schuster. And then maybe you start seeing Sky Moore and Marquez Valdez-Scantling having some similar impacts, different ways, of course, but I just sort of mean like those, those final stat lines. I think if you're expecting more than a few, uh, a few plays a game, like maybe it's two or three catches a game out of the gate, and you see where that ramps up to, I would say to have those expectations be incredibly low the first half of the season, let them rise over the course of the year. And if he's really contributing comfortably in this offense by the playoffs, that is absolutely a victory. And I'd rather be a little bit low on him early on because I, I just don't want people to end up with inflated expectations. And whenever he looks like a rookie in Andy Reid's offense out of the gate, you're not caught off guard by that. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of – maybe I'm just thinking of this comparison because they have the same last name. But Elijah Moore at, uh, with the Jets last year, like it took him – few weeks to get going, second-round pick, and he ended up yeah. finishing the season strong, and now there's, I think, high hope for what he could be. Uh, one of the other things that I think is interesting with the Chiefs draft is, and I don't know if this is just intentional or it just happened to line up this way, um, but you look at, like, George Karloftis, it's not just that he could come in and, and play right away and contribute for you, but also he could be uh, one of your helps to replace Frank Clark a year from now. Um, yeah. When you add in, you know, uh, or Sky Moore at the receiver position, like McCall Hardman, free agent at the end of the year. Brian Cook, another one of those guys who he could come in and, and contribute right away and, and be a part of a three-man safety rotation. Um, do you also think there is a part of the Chiefs in, in making that move and drafting Brian Cook in the second round as a safety where they're saying, you know, this allows us to not have to pay Juan Thornhill after this season? I think it's possible, but to be honest, man, I have a worse feel on how the Chiefs feel about Juan Thornhill than maybe anything else in my entire life, <laughs> and certainly worse than anything else with the Chiefs. Like I, I don't know. Like I love Thornhill as a rookie. Um, obviously, he has the ACL at the end of his rookie season that sort of sets him back, and then his his comeback in in twenty twenty in twenty twenty is sort of slow and increasing. But then he comes back and plays more. He comes back and is thing is fully healthy last year and then he still starts behind Dan Sorensen and then he gets more work and plays really well again I I don't know uh, uh, what I do think confidently is if I was in charge of this team I would absolutely be looking into a future with Justin Reed Brian Cook and Juan Thornhill um, not necessarily in that order I, I think that Cook is going to end up being more than just a box safety ideally um, they certainly drafted him high enough I think he might end up having kind of the most to prove from his draft slot because I am just waiting to see what it looks like at the NFL level. I like that trio of safeties a lot. I would be very nervous if they were entering this year with just Justin Reed and Brian Cook. If Cook shows a little more range this season, 
Uh, and, and maybe maybe he ends up giving you more options there. And I do think options are always a good thing. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Thornhill has a huge year and then somebody else wants to pay him a ton of money, then the Chiefs probably draft another safety, more of a free safety type next year. And then it's, it's Reed and Cook and then guy number three. Um, ultimately, I'm, I'm rooting for it to still be Thornhill because I really like him as a player, but I have also come to terms with the fact that I, I don't really understand where exactly the Chiefs are at with him. Who do you think has a better chance to uh, make an impact for the Chiefs, whether it's long-term, short-term, whatever? Isaiah Pacheco, the seventh-round pick running back out of Rutgers, or Justin Ross, the undrafted free agent who uh, at one time was being looked at as a first-round pick before a bunch of injuries? Yeah, so this is like this is a time that I'm going to sound like a wild homer, I guess, because if anyone else said this to me, I'd be like, come on, man. But I, I legitimately think both of them have a chance to contribute. Um, I, I think Pacheco is a, is a blast. Um, also, you, you have him mostly competing with, with Gore at this point. Like, uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair is going to be here for a little while longer. Ronald Jones is a, is a first two-down running back. The thing that's interesting to me in the running back rotation and why I might go with Pacheco is that you, you have Clyde as a guy who has been your first two-down back these last couple of years. Darrell Williams is the third-down guy. Well, Ronald Jones, both as a pass catcher and as a pass blocker, is not a third-down running back. So he's going to come in and get first and second down work. Is Clyde going to be that third round, that, that third down guy now? I'm not really sure. And the, the, the thing that comes out of that, especially if Clyde is that guy and then gets hurt, I think Pacheco and Gore are like legitimately up next in the third down role. Um, Pacheco can pass block and uh, like brought all of the energy you would ever want in those introductory press conference whenever he made the point that he is, quote, willing to take a grown man's job. Like that was the, that was the quote of the draft probably at least for the Chiefs. Uh, so I, I legit think that, that he might end up I, – I would, I would bet on him registering carries in 2022. Maybe not a ton, but I, I like his long-term potential there. Uh, and then Ross as well. Like I, I would have been cool if they would have drafted him in the, in the fifth. <laughs> like if they, I, I think Darian Kennard will end up doing good things for this team. But if the Chiefs would have used that fifth-round that fifth pick on Justin Ross, I would have been hyped about it. Beach talked about the medicals. He said the doctors feel good about it. He also had the foot thing. Uh, but ultimately, that room is way deeper right now, I think, than the running back room is. So I think Pacheco might actually have the better chance in the interim. But I hope they give Justin Ross all the time he needs because if they end up getting something legitimate out of him as an undrafted free agent who was formerly a first-round talent, I think the logic there also totally holds up. All right, uh, another edition of Good Idea, Bad Idea. First yeah. up, signing Justin Reed at around a similar contract value to Tyron Matthew. Uh, good idea. Also, have we gotten, I, I'm asking this now, which is a bad thing for a guest to do, I guess, but have we <laughs> seen the actual structure of the Tyra Matthew deal? Because um, I, I don't, I personally haven't yet. I'm opening his spot track page right now to see if I need to double check myself. Um, because I think that the three years, 33 million is one thing. I don't think that third year is going to be quite as legitimate as three years, 33 makes it sound. Uh, I think Justin Reed is ultimately going to probably have a, a slightly better overall contract. And the Chiefs wanted to get younger there. I, I am totally cool with it. Good idea. Uh, good idea, bad idea. Trading a 2024 conditional seventh for Lonnie Johnson. Totally harmless, good idea. Uh, it made Rudy Salazar, our resident Kentucky alum, extremely happy. And ultimately, they spent all those picks on defensive backs. I think, again, let's go to talk about a deep competition there. The Chiefs secondary has it. But I think it's a good idea um, because Brett Beach loves the reclaimed former high-round picks. And frankly, you trust the Houston Texans to develop players? I don't. I think it's a pretty good idea. 
All right, last one uh, in this. I have a draft pick Ponzi scheme idea where there is always future draft picks. No matter what, there's always next year, right? Um, right. Why not trade all of your draft picks next year for extra draft picks this year? And then once you get to next year, you're saying, oh, but we won't have any picks next year. Yes, you will, because you trade all your picks the following year into that year. So every year you have seven, it'd just be normal again because you'd just be trading back into that year. But the first year you do it, it gives you double the amount of picks. Okay, let me think about this. I think you're going to have to flip the pyramid here upside down yeah. because I think I think if you want to get into this world later, they always say that like the next year's picks are usually worth about one round less in value. So like a, a 2023 second would buy you a 2022 third, you know, before this draft. So I think you try to get on the board and get rid of all of your picks one year if you feel like you're really confident in your roster, and then you double up the next year. And at that point, you're basically having two picks every round for the rest of time mm-hmm. if you continue to double down on that strategy. So I think you'd have to bite the bullet in year one um, to go that direction. Yours, I I would have to do the math on, but it sounds like a great idea. I am in. I will give you $100, and I will tell three of my friends. Okay, perfect. All right, well, Josh, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Josh, one last thing. It's the first Friday in May, which is recognized as No Pants Day. Are you celebrating accordingly? Give me, like, one second here. Hold on. Yep, I will. I didn't know about that until just now. Hold on. Let me. I don't think anyone else is in the building. Yep, we're good. Good. Uh, You can watch Almost Entirely Sports on Twitch tonight, and uh, it's going to be No Pants Friday. Okay, there we go. Don't worry. Josh is only uh, in an elementary school right now, so it's totally fine. Josh, appreciate I, uh, <laughs> I got I got out of my chair just then and did pull my pants down to, like, mid-butt cheek for that bit, which is totally audio only. Wow. I hope you could hear the authenticity because I was literally – I'm in a room by myself right now, and I got about halfway there. I appreciate that. Yeah, we appreciate I like the, the dedication. Commitment. Yep. Uh, that's the type of commitment you can hear from Josh. Almost entirely sports, 810. Arrowhead Report on SI Now. Times ours in the athletic at JB Briscoe on tw- Twitter. Josh, uh, have a good weekend. Thanks for uh, joining us today. You too, guys. Currently Winnie the Pooing it and loving it. <laughs> That's Josh Briscoe. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. He's Adam Brevet. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be back after this timeout on KLWN. Depend on it.